Well, Happy New Year. I can't believe it's the first Sunday of 2023 already. So let me ask you, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Have you made them yet? And are you still following through with them? It's something we always think about. How are we gonna live differently this year? And what studies show is that typically the same resolutions that people have appear year after year after year. And uh, so let me talk about the top five resolutions for 2022. See how many of those you're thinking about for this year. The top resolution of last year was, no surprise, to lose weight. Number two, it was to eat more healthy. Now, somehow I think those two seem to go together, but they were separate resolutions. Number three is to exercise more, which gyms and workout clubs love because they make a lot of money with memberships in January that people never follow through for the rest of the year. Number four is just to spend more time with family, people that we love, to kind of deepen our relationships. And number five is really to work on one's mental health. So let me ask, how many of those have you fallen through or made or are committed to, or maybe are you gonna make this year? Now studies also say that by February 1st, most people have stopped living out their resolution. That in fact, after about three weeks, 70% of people aren't living their resolution anymore. They often seem to be short-lived, which is why I meet a lot of people who say, I don't even bother making a resolution because why should I kind of amp myself up to do something knowing that I probably won't follow through? And that lack of follow through is often the challenge and the issue. And perhaps the reason is because we're focused on resolutions and not our ambitions. And our ambitions is what guides our life. And oftentimes our resolutions our enemies are our ambitions. And if our ambitions aren't right, we're not gonna follow through with those resolutions. And so the scriptures, they talk about our ambitions more than they talk about resolutions. So I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna look at a moment in Paul's life as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica and he challenges them about their ambitions. Do you have the right ambition. And he's writing to a great church, the church in Thessalonica, Paul praises they have faith, they have hope, they have love for one another, they're doing great things and good deeds. And they also have a real hope that Jesus is gonna come soon. And Paul talks about the soon and coming King Jesus. And as we celebrated Christmas and the first coming of Christ as a savior and as a baby, it's a great reminder that he is coming again. And he's returning, not as a baby, but he's returning as a king, as a warrior, and as a judge for the world. And so the third church was living in anticipation. Jesus was coming back at any moment. Because of that, they decided they didn't need to work too hard. They didn't need to make a lot of money. They could get involved in everything else. They were gonna live life large because they thought, hey, I'm not gonna be around to pay the bills and I'm not gonna have to be responsible. And Paul says, hey, that's no way to live in light of Jesus coming. And But he challenged them. He says, here is your ambition. Are you ambitious? about the right things. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, in verse 11 and 12, he says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, 
just as we told you, just as we had always proclaimed to you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Now, I know this verse always challenges me, and I come back to it kind of regularly. Make it your ambition. And to be honest, we kind of don't like that word. Because when we think of ambition, we think of people who have blind ambition, who are just gonna roll over everybody. They don't care what happens uh, to other people. We think uh, of people who have selfish ambition and that everything in life is just for them and they're gonna take from everybody else. And that ambition is kind of a power grab. It's a desire to exert yourself and to walk all over people. And Paul here is gonna change that. He says, that can't be your ambition. Your ambition has to be to win the respect of others. Your ambition has to be to make a difference in the lives of others. Your ambition has to be to live a life that wins people to Jesus. And Paul here talks about three things that help us continue in that ambition of really making a difference and letting the inner life of Christ shine. He says in here that we need to mind our busyness to mind our own business, and then to mind our business or our work. Mind our busyness, mind our own business, and mind our business or our work. The first thing he says really is just mind your busyness. Make it your ambition, he says, to lead what? A quiet life. Now, I think maybe after all of the hubbub and travel and, and snowstorms and everything and airports and shopping malls, the idea of a quiet life, it sounds so great. It sounds so surreal. Maybe being in a cottage and just kind of the fresh fallen snow and just having a cup of coffee or hot cocoa and watching that. Maybe it's sitting on a beach. Maybe it's just resting on a mountain. Maybe it's just sitting beside a warm fire. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And we like that for a little bit. But then after a while, we get bored, right? We begin to think, I'm not doing anything. If I'm relaxing, I begin to feel what? Guilty, I should be doing more. Because notice the contradiction in terms. Paul says, make it your ambition to what? almost like be non-ambitious. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, a peaceful life, a settled life. Some translations say, say study to bring yourself to peace. Study, work hard to be at peace. And that feels sometimes like we're underachieving. I mean, no parent usually says to their child, you know, make it your ambition to have a quiet life. No boss gets up in a team meeting and said, hey, our goal this week is to have a quiet life. Maybe you in, in college or high school, you're not thinking, oh, I want to have a quiet life. But here's Paul saying, what is going to suit us best is that we make it our ambition to have a quiet life. What does that mean? I think it's in several areas. That first, Paul is saying to be still instead of living kind of a crazy schedule. Just to learn to be still. Don't let our calendar control us, but let us be in control of our calendars. Because sometimes we like being busy. We like experiencing things. We wanna not miss out on anything. We have a term for that, FOMO, you know, not missing out the fear of not having those great moments in life. And we have not really learned to rest. We've not learned to guard our schedule so that we have those moments that Christ can kind of be very present and alive in the center part 
of our life. And it's fascinating. The scripture gives us a secret to this. And yet in our culture, we kind of poo-poo that. The, the, the secret is to take a Sabbath, to have just a day off. And one of the things God said early on to Israel as they were starting, it says, you know, take a Sabbath, like one day, the one day of the week is to be holy, is to be set apart. You're not to do anything. And why would God say that? Well, because we often in our culture, we rest on the weekend. Why? Because we work hard. And we rest so that we can kind of just catch up from the craziness of the week. God says here, at the end of the week, you rest. Why? So that you can live out of your rest. You can work out of your rest. You can enjoy a rested life. To take a whole day, and that probably seems crazy to us. How can I? I don't have a whole day. And I often think it's funny that we trust God with our eternal life and our eternal security. We trust God with our spiritual life, but we don't trust him with our money and we don't trust him with our time. Oh, I can't take time off. I can't rest because I've got too much to do. And if I don't do it, my life is going to fall apart. Ah, that's the wrong ambition. What's your ambition? If our ambition is to impact people, to live a life that is quiet, is a life that pleases God. If that's our ambition, then learning to rest, live quietly, it will make sense. Now, I think it's interesting that when the pandemic first started, those first two or three months, I think people experienced that. There was kind of this collective expression. People could kind of relax. They weren't driving to work. They weren't in in traffic. They kind of worked at home. They shut their computers off. They spent more time uh, with other people on Zoom or family or just reading or doing other things. And for a while, that felt good. And we learned some things. And maybe you learned some really good habits. And you should celebrate that, that you, pandemic, changed your habits to live a more quiet life. Some of you, you changed your habits, but you grade against it. You don't like it. It was like, not good. This is not what I want. And maybe even though there's been some changes, you need to say, God, thank you. Thank you that maybe you have quieted my life. My guess is that most of us have gone back to kind of the craziness of life. Airline flights are up. Cruise reservations are up. Everything is up even higher than pre-pandemic. People are going back to all sorts of experiences and things. Have we really learned anything? Have we taken anything from those moments and said, hey, God, what did you want to teach me about a quieter life? And maybe it starts with just saying, hey, God, this year, I'm going to take a day of rest because I don't want to rest because I've had a crazy week. I want to work and live out of a place of rest. Secondly, I think, when Paul says, make it your ambition to have a quiet life, he's saying, be satisfied instead of looking for the next thrill. To really be satisfied, to live in the moment, really to embrace the ordinary. Because I think we live in a culture, and I, I know certain generations, like it's all about the next experience. We make money to live an experience and to have that and find the next thrill, the next high. We're going to climb the next mountain, ski the next slope, uh, uh, travel to the most exotic places. We want all of these experiences. And we think we have to have them like in rapid succession. And we don't like the ordinary in the middle, and yet it's in the ordinary that God meets us. 
It's when we're satisfied with life, we're settled with life, that God shows up. And you know, at, at the end of uh, the year, my phone, Facebook, all those other things, they give us what a highlight reel of the year. They show us the high points. And they show us all the exciting things, perhaps, that we were a part of. They never show us the ordinary moments. And it's out of the stillness that we're able to do kind of more the exciting. And sometimes when people read the Bible, they forget. The Bible is sometimes a highlight reel of what God did. There's more moments of where God wasn't so evident in his work, wasn't working in the same way in people, and people didn't experience him in the same way. I think of Moses, you know, we have several moments, you know, when he uh, was born, when he kills someone, uh, and then when he leads people out of Israel, the Bible doesn't really talk about what happened in 40 years, 40 years of his life when he was a shepherd. What, what was that like? It, it doesn't talk about that. The Bible records that it took several decades, decades for Noah to build the ark. We have the time when God spoke to him and then when he's on the boat and out, but we don't know what was going on. What was God doing in the ordinary of that? Uh, Jesus, I mean, we only have maybe record of about one-tenth of the number of years of his life. When, when he was born, again, briefly when he was 12, and then the last three years, there's almost 30 years of his life that's missing. And it was 30 years of quiet and ordinary in preparation for what God was going to do. And often we look at the Bible and we're like, why isn't God doing all this now? Why aren't these, these all these same miracles and, and, and wonders? Because you read the Bible and it's like rapid succession. It's because we forget in between, there's lots of ordinary time. And we need to embrace that. You see, sometimes we think uh, our God is entertainment. Our, our religion is the next thrill or excitement or happiness, that the priests of that religion are the celebrities and the athletes. The temple of that religion is uh, uh, the TV and the stadiums. And, and we eagerly desire to be excited in one thrill after another. And Paul says, make it your ambition to have a quiet life. We just embrace the ordinary. Settle in on the ordinary. Don't disdain it, but appreciate it. Thirdly, I think Paul here is saying, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, that he's saying that we should seek to be at peace instead of anxious. As I said, it means uh, you kind of study uh, to show yourself at peace or study to be at peace, that quiet life. And you can have kind of a, a reduced schedule. You can have maybe not many things going on, but your heart, it can be anxious and your inner life, it does not always come quiet. And Paul says, learn how in the midst of life to have peace and a quietness and a stillness of heart. I don't know how many times I struggle with the two, three o'clock in the morning, I'm not doing anything. My schedule isn't full, but my heart may not be quiet because it's anxious about something else. And Paul says, make it your ambition to have a quiet life. Friends, I think this is what the world is looking for most, that the world are looking for. I, I would say that we're to be kind of like stealth bomber Christians who bring peace to the world. That the one thing people who don't know Jesus don't have is real inner peace. 
the peace of God and peace with God that only Jesus can bring. And when we offer that to people, when we show that to people, that is so captivating to them. Now, when Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he's not necessarily saying we shouldn't do anything. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he was busy, right? Jesus had a very full life. I mean, there were some days he didn't get a chance to eat. Some days he tried to get away from the crowd and the crowd followed him. Uh, One day he fell asleep on the boat in the midst of a storm because he hadn't had time to sleep and he was the first chance he had to rest. And so he had a very full life, but he was always what? At peace. I mean, this is what I find phenomenal about Jesus, that he was in the moment. He was always present with people. There's one day where a a man came and said, my daughter's dying, would you come and and help her? She's sick, would you come and help her? And, And on the way as they're rushing there, a woman with an issue of blood reaches out and touches Jesus, and Jesus stops in the midst of the rush to get to heal someone to be fully present with her. There was a calm in his life. There was a non-anxiousness. And Paul says, learn to have that. And how did Jesus have that? It's because he would get up early and pray. It's that he would at night pray. He would spend time praying. He would seek to pray. That he would do and knew the word of the Father. And, And he says, every word of God, it's like food to me. And so he had these disciplines, even God himself in the flesh had these disciplines, but these disciplines weren't resolutions. The disciplines weren't, oh, I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna pray more this year, because that'll help me. They were there to support his ambition, his ambition of leading a quiet life. And so do you see what Paul is saying? That sometimes we want to do these things to make our life better, but they actually compete with our ambition of being successful or wealthy or hardworking or uh, whatever we have, or to have pleasure, to have fun or happiness in our life. They compete and so they become enemies of our ambition. But if our ambition is to love him, to know him, to deepen him, then we do whatever it takes to support it. First thing Paul says, make it your ambition, have a quiet life. Have a quiet life. Don't watch over your busyness. Secondly, he says, mind your own business. Don't you love this? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business, just as we told you. And I love how sometimes practical the Bible is, and somehow direct. Paul just says, mind your business. Like, mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. And we have all these tropes and kind of uh, media and TV of the nosy neighbor, the, the, the friend who's always interested, the person who always butts into your life. And there are sometimes we just want to say, right, mind your own business. It's fascinating, though, that there is a whole business in our culture of being nosy about people, particularly celebrities and athletes. We wanna know everything and we want every little bit of their life. There's photographers waiting, there's news programs and internet feeds and podcasts that try to get into all the minute details of these celebrities and politicos and, and people in our life. And we wanna know what goes on with other people. And we become busybodies. why? Because we wanna know how we compare to somebody else. How, are they, how am I doing compared to them? Am I doing better? 
my family doing better? My kids doing better? My parents doing better? Am I doing better in school? Am I doing better in life? Can I take better trips than them? Can I do other things? And we are busy bodies because often we compare ourselves to other people and we put a lot of energy into thinking about what other people are doing, judging other people, thinking about how they should live instead of what we should do. And to be honest, I've been caught up in this too many times. I think, oh, how many times, uh, right? Am I worried about someone else or they need to do this or, or they should do that and I could fix that or if they would just ask me or why don't they ask me what to do? I know better how to live than what they do. And I think I could focus a lot on everybody else instead of in my own life. And what would happen if all the energy that we put trying to figure everybody else out and fix everyone's problems was going to study what it is to be at peace in ourself and figure that out. I think, first of all, it would help us to have a much quieter life because we're not comparing ourselves or contrasting ourselves or putting ourselves in a pecking order or trying to beat someone else. We're able to have that quiet life. Secondly, I think it would help relationships. Right, because sometimes I've done this. It's sometimes somebody comes and says, oh, do you know about this person? Or do you know that this happened? And I, I can get all hot and bothered. I'm like, oh, how can that be? And I, I need to fix that. Or what should I do? Or that person needs to be talked to. Or they need to do that. And then I realize it's not even true. I realize that that's just gossip, that somebody said something different. And if we went back to kind of the Old Testament principles that we don't believe anything, until it's verified by two or three witnesses. That just because one person tells us something, we don't get all excited about it. That we wait and listen and think the very best of people. You know, sometimes I don't think that God created our ears to be the garbage cans of all the gossip that's around. God didn't create us to hear all the negative about other people, but God created our hearts, I think, to think the best of people. In fact, Paul talks about, or um, Peter talks about this, uh, and he says um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, he says, love, it just covers over a multitude of sins. That the love of Christ, God's love, it covers over a multitude of sins. That when we've been forgiven and we've experienced the love of God, it, it makes us more understanding of people. That it helps us to want to believe the best of people. That it makes us more forgiving as we can. That love, it covers over a multitude of sins. We're not there trying to get someone punished for what they did or prove that they're wrong. We're there because God has loved us and we want to walk in that kind of forgiveness. And then what it means though, is not that we can't be caring about others. There is a difference between sticking our nose in someone's business and sticking our heart in another's concern. So we can stick our nose in someone's business and think they need to fix it or they need to do that or they need to get it right or I'm watching or judging what they're doing as saying, hey, wait a minute, we need to be caring and concerned for them. We need to help them. And, and Paul writes about this. The church in Thessalonica, it was like that. They had a great care for others. In verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, Paul says, Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all do love all of God's family through Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more. Instead of being worried about other people's business, 
put your heart into their concern. And how do you know that? Sometimes it's hard to say, well, am I being a busybody or am I really being a caring person? Here's three things to help you know. The first is, is your personal happiness dependent on whether someone else takes your advice or listens to you? Is your personal habit, does that make you happy or not? Are you looking, is your happiness? Secondly, do you keep repeating yourself to somebody else, hoping that they would get it right? Are you frustrated with them, thinking they're not listening to me? Maybe that's because you're a nosy nobody and busybody in their life. And thirdly, do you judge people based upon how they take your advice or how they walk? Do you judge people too easily? See, a heart for concern goes in and cares for people. A busybody is able to judge. Paul says here, make it your ambition to mind your busyness and mind your own business. Are you a trustworthy person? And really what Paul is saying, are you spending all the time looking at other people, judging, evaluating other people that you should be spending just looking at your own life, studying what it is to be quiet? And then thirdly, he says, mind your business, mind your work. He says, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that you're not dependent upon anybody else. And Paul here really talks about the value of work. And he brings this up and he talks specifically about working with your hands for two reasons. One is, as I said, that people, in light of Jesus coming, think, oh, we don't need to work. We don't need to make money. We'll just kind of scrounge because uh, Jesus is going to look after us when he comes. And, and secondly, in the Greek culture, people did not value uh, labor, physical hand labor. They thought you worked with your mind and, and in the area of thoughts and ideas. That was the ideal. And, and Paul says work right, is important and valuable. And Paul reminds us that work is a gift of God. Work is not the curse. The hardness in work is because uh, sin came into the world and, and the curse of sin. But God said to Adam and Eve, tend the earth, take care of it. He gave Adam the opportunity to name the animals. Work, doing something that helps us flourish, making a meaningful difference, that's in our DNA. When we're made in the image of the creator God, who Jesus says what is always working. Jesus said in the gospels, my father is always at work. And when we work and do something fulfilling, right? That means we're walking in the image of God. That's the hope that we have in heaven. Heaven is not just sitting around on a cloud strumming a, a harp or something. It's doing something meaningful, but there'd be no curse in it. It means it won't be as difficult. It, it means it won't be as frustrating. It means that people will take it seriously, that our work will have increasing significance. We will work without really needing to have rest from it. And Paul says, work with your hand. Be model citizens so, so that no one is, is dependent upon another person. And, and Paul says, no one's a freeloader. No one's taking advantage of other people. And you may know those people who aren't working in the way that they should, and they're always trying to get something for free or always trying to get something. Now, Paul isn't saying, right, that there aren't times when we uh, are working, but we can't uh, afford something or we need some help or support. Uh, I mean, that's why we're uh, trying to partner with Scott Mission and do something to support food insecurity, that there are times people are working, but in the economy, and it's difficult. 
But Paul here says, work with your hands. In fact, he says, if you don't work, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't eat, that you should be about work and finding a job and being part of that, wanting to have a job. But Paul says here, work with your hands. And why do you do that? So you may win the respect of outsiders. And I think all three of those win the respect of outsiders, being at peace, minding your own business, and being a person who's faithful in their work. Randy Kilgore uh, wrote a book a while back. It talked about work and what people wanted, how people make a difference. And he did a survey about what non-Christians really wanted from their Christian colleagues in the workplace. What would be the biggest impact Christians would have? And he said there were five things that kept coming up and up again. And, And the first, he said, is that he said that he wished that people wished Christians knew more about their faith, that they understood the faith, that they could answer some of the questions, that they would engage in it. Instead of just saying, well, this is what I believe or what I grew up, that they really knew and understood their faith and could talk about it and weren't afraid of that. Secondly, is that they had more hope in hard times that when things got difficult, they didn't fall apart or they're like, oh no, what am I gonna do? But that they really saw Jesus in their hard times and they clung to Jesus and they rested in, which I think is really the first part, that instead of being anxious, they were at peace. The third thing that non-Christians wished that their Christian colleagues had is that they were willing to address the difficult issues and would talk about hard things. And sometimes we live in a culture where we don't want to talk about it. Or we don't want to answer those questions. And there's one thing I, re- I really appreciate about uh, Bayview's church board. They talk about difficult things and, and want to address some of the challenging questions. We've had some great discussions. And, and how to take that, how do we prepare and equip people? And it's not that people don't want you to talk about their faith necessarily, but are you willing to really engage in some of the challenging conversations? Fourthly, is that they wish that Christians were more honorable, which I think is kind of number two, that Christians worked hard, they did what they did, that they, they were, uh, had integrity, that they worked hard, uh, that whatever they did in life, that it was honorable and of character. And finally, they wish that Christians were more compassionate, that they lived with compassion more, less perhaps maybe judgmental, less restrictive, but just had compassion for people. And I find it fascinating here that Paul is, or or that Randy Kilgore is saying, it's not that people didn't want conversation about faith in the workplace. And I know some workplaces you can't have it. It's not that that people just wanted to shrink back, but they wanted people to engage authentically, live at peace, be good employees and, and bosses, and be honest with your faith. And Paul here says, make it your ambition. Why? So that you can win the respect of outsiders. So that other people would look at the church and say, there's something. We may not even agree. We may not understand. But there is respect. They live in such a way that it's respectful. I think of a woman, I often share a story because it's so powerful to me, that, that she really wanted to kind of live on mission. She wanted to be able to impact someone in her workplace. And so she worked really hard at finding who can I share Christ with? And in her department, she found the most difficult person, the person that nobody really got along with. And she said, I'm gonna come alongside. I'm gonna have compassion. 
I'm gonna love them, I'm gonna care for them. And the next thing they know, they began to hang out, began to come to church, and that woman gave her life to Jesus because someone said, I'm gonna live on mission. I'm gonna have a new ambition. So let me ask you, 2023, not what are your resolutions? What's your ambition? Because it's our ambitions that drive our results. If we don't have peace in our life, it could be because we're not ambitious about it. Right? If we aren't centered in our life, probably because we're not ambitious about it. If we wonder sometimes, where is Christ in our life? It's because we're not ambitious to have him. If we're ambitious for all these other things in life, we will miss Christ. Paul says the most important ambition is to live in such a way that Christ is really the center of our life. And may that mark us as his church this year. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your grace in our life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have been present with us. Thank you for what you've done in this past year. And Lord, as we look further, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would have a new ambition. We wouldn't just make a resolution, oh, I'm gonna read the Bible more, pray more, do this more and more, but that our ambition would be to make a difference, to win the respect of other people. That our ambition, we say, I'm gonna be ambitious about studying peace and knowing peace in my life, that I'm gonna mind my own business Lord, that I'm gonna be faithful in whatever job or retirement or studies that you have given me. And Lord, I pray that we would see the fruit this year in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy new year.